0: First Peter chapter number one, grateful for the Tuesday night service, the testimonies that were given and thankful for Sunday night, the help and getting the decorations ready. I believe it's beautiful and, and uh, fitting for a place of assembling during the December month and thankful for the work cooperation and uh, it's, a, it's a great testament to the, uh, just the cooperation of a church working together even in something that is trivial. And it is trivial because it's not part of the mission of the church uh, and to put up decorations. But it is nice and it's nice to be able to do those things and, and I'm very thankful for that. And especially you know, the, the work that goes into this since they'll be up here for so many months. And, and so it's very nice. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go ahead and stand and let's read our text this morning. And we'll begin reading in verse number 22 through 25. Peter writes, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now we're going on our journey in the book of First Peter, and we've said that this theme, this topic, is really about the matter of hope, and we're going to look at that again today. Everything hinges on this, and he says in verse number uh, uh, 13, to hope in the grace of God, that we're to have a confident expectation, and God's grace, which is God's enabling power. So the most essential thing, even in this text, verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, is that the power that he's going to talk about here in this particular passage is coming from hope. So this matter of hope is not just the first command, it is the catalyst of, and it is the the conduit for everything else that comes out of Peter's writing in this book. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So thank you and please be seated. To feel the force of this truth about hoping in God, we we look at this matter of what we've been talking about and stepping back and seeing what this chapter's been about. And chapter one is overwhelmingly a chapter about hope. Verse three, he sounded the note of being born again by the power of God, meaning that we became a person when we got saved, a person with a living hope. It is only natural that the new nature that we received by Jesus Christ is a nature that is filled with hope. So to not have hope is not natural. It doesn't mean that there won't be times where we lose hope in God, but it is unnatural to not put your confidence in God, not put your, find your satisfaction in God. And he emphasizes that in view of what we will see I want to go as far as to say that the essence of the new birth of being a child of God is that the new person in Christ relentlessly hopes in what God can do rather than what man can do. That's the nature. That's the essence of the new birth. In verse number three, again, he says that God raised Jesus from the dead to give us that kind of a hope. So death is now no terror. We've had a couple of funerals here in the last couple of months, but death is no terror because the the very one that brought Jesus from the dead, that same resurrection power is to give you and I hope that not even death. Our worst enemy is death perhaps, but the The future of death's power has been destroyed. In verse number four, Peter underlines the certainty and the greatness of our future by telling us that God's newborn children, we have an inheritance with our hope-filled characteristics. And he gave us four of those. Notice in verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible, that means imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven. That means the future that God has stored up for his children, they never perish. It'll never it'll never spoil, it'll never fade. It's protected by God himself. And then verse five, this strengthens our hope because he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, when a person gets saved, that, that is a present tense matter, but it's also future. There is that saving, continual saving. Not that we can lose it, but that it will never dry up. It never wears out. It never ends. And so he strengthens our hope by telling us that our inheritance, it's kept. It's kept by the power of God. It's protected by God's power well how do we know he says it's through faith we, we take him at his word God sees to it with omnipotent power he sees to it that our faith doesn't fail and we won't fail verse number 7 he confirms this this truth this reality by contrasting gold gold which perishes with our faith um contrasting this gold which perishes, but our faith however, it doesn't perish. And, and and he's saying if gold is refined by fire, even though this gold will perish, how much more can suffering in this life refine something as valuable as your faith but your faith will never perish. It'll never pass away. That, that's the note of hope. And it will It'll continue. It'll it'll uh, uh, just um, redound with praise and glory and honor at the coming of Christ. That is our hope, our confidence in Him. You say, I, "I just my life is nothing like that." You may not have His nature. His nature. That's what His nature does. That's what the new nature in God does. Verse nine. He presses. For more hope by telling us again, just like verse 5, that the outcome of our faith will be the salvation of our souls. That is, we will not perish. That is, we will be saved forever. And then verse 10 through 12 is still just some of the most wonderful verses. He elevates our anticipation for the future. The text here, verses 10 through 12, he reveals that even the great prophets in the Old Testament, they yearned for the hope-filled truth that we in these last 2,000 years as part of the church since the cross that we have been able to experience, that we can see the Old Testament prophets they knew it was coming and they, they yearned to know more about it and then the passage there in verse number 12 tells us That even this good news of our salvation is so profound that even the angels right now, they're longing to comprehend it because they don't understand what it means to be redeemed, to be purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what great depths Peter's walked through in those 12 verses. He lays all that out as a wonderful jewel of joy for us so that we can embrace these commands. Aren't you glad that God gives us the indicatives, that which is true, before he gives us instructions of what to do? He does it so often. Much of Paul's writings is that way. But in verses 13 through 22, he gives us four commands. We've looked at three so far. After 12 verses of exaltation and what God has done to give us hope, Peter gives us four commands In the rest of this chapter, verse 13, is the very first command. It's the primary command of this chapter, of this book. He says, hope to the end for the grace. Hope until uh, time expires for God's enabling grace. It'll be fulfilled. It'll be brought to, to fulfillment at the coming of Jesus Christ. But until he comes, well, he's come the first time. And because of that we can know amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God. Verse number 13, in other words you have seen all these reasons to hope, therefore hope and hope fully. Be full of hope. Hope in the grace of God. Verse 15 was the second command. Be holy as God is holy. I hear a lot of arguing and and justifying and manipulating of truth and and opinions about this matter of holiness. But one of the things that people leave out in the argument for holiness is how holy God is. So Peter says, forget what each other thinks about being holy and what preference you have and what's convenient to you. He just says, be as holy as the one who's called you and saved you as holy. Be as holy as him. And you'll never exhaust that. And this isn't a good idea. It's not a good standard. It is the standard, and it is a command, command number two. The first command is be hopeful in God. The second command is be holy like God. The truth is, if you really hope in God, you will not be indifferent to whether you love what God loves and hate what God hates. You will not be indifferent. If you really have your hope in Him, you cannot help but to embrace the truth of Be holy as He is holy, because He is holy. Therefore, you and I must also be holy. Third command, verse 17. And the second part of the command, it's a jarring one, but it really is still rooted in hope. He says, conduct yourselves in fear. Live the rest of your sojourning years here in fear as a child of God. Fear, well, how does that relate to hope? Well, if you look at the basis of this fear in verse 18... He's he's saying conduct yourself in fear knowing that you're not redeemed with something that's going to perish or pass away like silver and gold kind of stuff. But as verse 19 says, with the precious blood of Christ. Live in such a way that you don't devalue how precious Jesus' blood truly is. Odd logic maybe, but he says fear because the ransom paid to rescue you, it doesn't wear out. It doesn't have... uh, uh, an expiration date it's the permanent precious blood of Christ the point is this don't treat the ransom paid for your soul with contempt it's a fearful thing to treat the blood ransom of God with contempt that is it's a fearful thing to act as if the future God is making for us is not satisfying It's not as special as what he says it is. And he said it with his blood. It's a fearful thing to not hope in God. So odd as it sounds, the point of the third command is fear not hoping in God. Fear that you will live without satisfaction in God. And that brings us to the fourth command in verse 22, in, verse, uh, in the second part of the verse. Notice at the end he says, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. First command is hope. Hope in God. Second command is be as holy as God is holy. Third command is to fear that you don't live in hope. And fourth command is to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Title of the message It worked really hard on this one is fourth command. Fourth command. Love. Love. I said at the beginning that the most important thing in this text is that the power that he's going to mention and the power that he is mentioning is the power to love. That it comes through hoping in God. If we don't get hoping in God right, we won't get loving right. And I submit that the reason people don't love as they ought is because they don't hope in God as they ought. And we've seen thus far that virtually everything in chapter one, it relates to hope. I have no, no difficulty tracing everything back to hoping in God because that's what Peter is attempting to do. He's rejoicing in all that God has done to ensure that his people experience joy and happiness, security. He describes how people live when this truth of, of who God is, it captures us and we genuinely believe and put our confidence in God. He's describing it. So it's not surprising that this fourth commandment to love each other, and this is what I want you to see. It's situated between two supports, two pillars, two descriptions of the birth of hope that provide reasons to love. So I'm gonna give this to us in, in a general way, but I, I want you to get it. It's so simple, but it's so significant. The, the fourth command, the key this morning is that we would love. We would love as a divine love. In fact, he tells us in this verse, he uses two different words for love. He uses the phileo love, brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which I doubt you'll find that there, but um, it's a brotherly love. And that's what he says in verse number two seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love, this, this general love for the brethren, love because you love them because of who they are, their brethren. But he says, see that ye love, agape love, a love the way God loves you a love that that desires nor demands anything in return. But he said it is to be a reciprocal love because all brethren ought to be loving one another with a love that is divine, a love that is only that of God. God is love. God is life and God is love. But the only way we can find this reality of being obedient to the fourth command is to see these two support pillars on both sides. Love is encased in hope. Love gets its life from hope. If we're not hope-filled people, we will not be a loving people. So I want us to see this together in verses 22 through 25. There's not much of an outline to get because this is is it. The command is love one another fervently. Before that is a support and after that is a support. So you can write it however you want to. I've got an outline, but it's not a working outline because I'm not really wanting you to get a sermon, a sermonic, Um, outline to take. I want you to get the message as Peter is giving it. And so he's giving us the power to love comes from hoping in God. Notice there's a reason to love. As I mentioned, it's given before the command to love in verse 22. 22a is one reason. And there is a reason to love given after the command in verse 23. So let's make sure we we see this clearly. There are two reasons to love. The command is love one another with a pure heart fervently. Let's look at the reasons. Verse 22a. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Reason number one is you've purified your souls by obeying the truth. Now, I'm going to state these as simply as, as I can see this, and then we'll elaborate to... To help, Because here's the way I think you should read your Bible is ask, so what? Or what then? Now what? How? Because he elaborates on these when he makes a statement. And we can just go away with statement and say, well, we, we've got this. And, but we've got to get down into the, the aspect that we know, well, how do we obey it? It's kind of like praying. I think sometimes our praying is so general that if God ever answered it, we wouldn't know if he answered it because we pray too generally. Just like, Lord, bless us. Bless us all and have a good night. Well, if he answered it, how would you know he answered it? Because a blessing might be from God in form of chastisement. It might wipe your house out. He might cause the power to go out, the house to flood, the washing machine to break. So I asked God to bless. Well, how do you know he didn't? But we prayed, so you just asked for general blessings, so he's going to give you a general working to bring you to where he wants you to be. And we sometimes do that with truth. Oh, we got the the basic, but we don't know how to apply it. So let's don't stick with the general. Let's get down to to the heart of these things. Reason number one, you've purified your souls by obeying the truth. And he says, because of that, therefore, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Then comes reason number two to love. Verse 23, love one another from the heart for being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So he says, love one another because you've been born again by the word of God. So, so two supporting reasons. So what is the command? The command is to what? Love one another. Two supporting reasons. One comes in verse 22a, the other one comes in verse 23. So he commands us to love. John 13, 34, the last night Jesus spent with his disciples, he says in a new commandment, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, verse 35, shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. So this is the same command Peter who heard Jesus say that to him as well as the other 10. And now Peter is telling us we're to love one another with that same God-like love. This command has been compared to, this loving one another has been compared to something of a light or a lamp stand that is stationed between two supports, two love, two pillars. Picture this kind of, this love one another fervently like a lamp in the window of the church. Two large pillars of truth support the command so that it doesn't fail in our life. Because if this command fails in our life, then what will the world miss? Well, Jesus said what they'll miss in John 13, 34 and 35, they'll miss that you're a disciple of Jesus. That's why he says, let your light shine so that men may see your good works and glorify you. No, your father. And so he gives us this command that Jesus gave to his disciples in the upper room. You love one another as I have loved you. Not as you've loved each other, but as I have loved you. And we have to come away if we're honest and say... That's impossible. That's what Jesus wants them to think. That's what Peter wants us to think. Humanly, it is impossible. But what Peter goes on to give us is what is couched, or this this truth, this command. Commandment number four is couched between two supporting columns. The lamp of divine love is the love that Christians have for each other. Now, there are these two pillars holding up the lamp of divine love. Verse 22, verse A Verse 22a, rather, is the obedience to the truth. It purifies our soul. It's a soul purifying obedience to the truth. The other pillar holding up the lamp of love is the new birth, verse 23, by the word of God. All right? How would you do if we had clean off your desk and take out a blank sheet of paper? How would you do on the quiz? It's pretty simple, right? I hope it's simple because Peter wants it to be simple. So if there's ever going to be love among Canaan Baptist church membership of disciples or in any church, these two things have to be our experience. We have to be born again by the word of God and our hearts have to be purified by obedience to the truth. Now, here's the question you should be asking. Where's the hope? Where's the hope that you said was so important in this text? Are you all warming up? I'm going to have them turn the heat off if you don't stay engaged, okay? I told Brother Cherry, he says, some were complaining about being cold. That's what standing up and sitting down during the song service does. And- if you're Brother Autry, you'll get an extra standing up or sitting down in there, and even when it wasn't planned. And that'll warm us up, right? Amen. Amen. We could do the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Where's the hope come from? You said, Pastor, that the power to love comes through hoping in God. Where do you see this? Is it a fair question? Do you see it? You don't see it. You don't see these things just just perusing it, but Peter wants you to hang on to it. And if you remember what Peter himself heard Jesus say, a lot of what Peter's telling us is what Jesus told Peter there in that upper room. So, where does the hope come from? Because I'm telling you, it's true. Everything in this book, it flows out of the first commandment to hope in God. So, where does the power to love come from or come through hoping in God? Where do we see this? It's, we see it in these two support columns, these two support beams. Let's look at it. I want to take the second one first, verse 23. Notice what verse 23 says. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What does it mean to be born again by God's living and abiding word? Now look at what Peter really emphasizes in these verses, verses 23 through 25. Let's read it again. Look at all three verses. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. Now, Peter doesn't just emphasize new birth by the word. He's emphasizing something specific about that word. And he really draws it out even with a supporting Old Testament quote. That's what he's he's reading here is a quote from Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. What is it about the word that he is emphasizing? Because all of us can say, wonderful word. I I need that powerful word. But what is it that he's emphasizing about the word? Because this command to love, it is a command and it's an impossible command to love as God loves. It is couched between these two support beams. The, The second one we're looking at here is being born again by the living and abiding word of God. But what is it about the word that he's emphasizing? The point that he's emphasizing is that at every stage it's hope look at it again verse 23 being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever he says you've been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable now, Peter loves this truth. He talked about it in verse four our inheritance is not perishable. He says in verse seven, our faith is not perishable. He said in verse number 18 and 19, our ransom is not perishable. Now he says in verse 23, God's word is not perishable. What's the point? The point is it lasts, it will not be proved wrong. It will stand as long as God stands. And those who stand on the word of God will not fall ever. The point is hope. Hope in the word of God. Hope because of the word of God. Now keep reading. Notice in verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Peter defines the imperishable seed as the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So he, he, there's the point again. It's not only imperishable, it's alive. It's abiding. That is, it lasts. It will not fail you. That's why as Baptists, Baptist is not a denomination. If you understand the Bible, Baptist is tracing us back to the teaching of Jesus. Baptist means what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, what the Bible proclaims is our authority. It's not what some church doctrine holds. It's what God's doctrine provides through the authority of God's word. That's why people are more loyal, who are more loyal to their preferences, to their systems to their way of life than they are to the Bible. They're not biblicists. The people who have, well, we've always done it this way. Well, it doesn't matter how we've always done it. The children of Israel did it a certain way for thousands of years and God eventually set them aside because they rejected the one who was to be the one that they embraced. And so it's a dangerous thing to ever hold on to your preference for mm, forsaking that, which is the answer. The answer is the wonderful Word of God. And what's the point here of the emphasis of the Word of God? It's hope. You can put your hope in it. It'll never perish, it'll never die, it'll never fall away. It's always relevant, always. Keep reading. He's going to say it again with an Old Testament authority. I mentioned, verse 24 and 25, he's quoting from Isaiah. He says, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. To me, that's as plain as he can make it. Listen, the word of God that he's talking about is the gospel that's been preached to them, the good news that we've been reading about in this chapter. The ransom of the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 18 and 19. The resurrection of Christ, verse 3 and verse 21. The keeping power of God, verse 5. All the inheritance of God. All this good news was preached to them. And the point now is what, Peter? Verse 25 is that it's not like grass. It's not like flowers. It doesn't wither. It doesn't fall. It doesn't fade away. It abides forever. See, if this word is your life, God's word is your life, you'll live forever. Not just quantitative in eternity, but qualitative because the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment in which Christ conducts with His children, not to determine where you'll spend in eternity, but to see the quality of our life based upon how we have embraced His Word. 1 John 2, 17, The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What's the point? Hope. That's the point. The point is hope. So here's the support that is holding up the lamp Of divine love. The lamp of divine love in the church. Is being held up and supported by. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again by a seed. A word that is imperishable. That is living and abiding. And that is not like grass. But it. God's word abides forever. It's the permanence of the word. But what's The point, and these are my questions. What's the point, Peter, of making such a big deal out of the words permanence? Well, the point is, is that when you're born by someone's seed, you take on the character of that seed. That's his point. John talked about it over in 1 John chapter number 3. He talked about our nature. The reason why we have victory over sin is because of our nature. It's the nature of God that cannot sin that is within us. So Peter's saying, the point is, this constitutes your nature. What Peter wants us to see is that the seed that created us, that calls us to be born again, was the Word of God that is imperishable, living abiding, lasting forever. And therefore, that is who we are. We are forever. We have a different quality of life. We ought to have a different focus of life. What does that mean if we truly believe this? What does it mean if we believe what Peter is saying? I'll tell you what it means. It means you have hope. See, this world we'll talk about, can't we all just get along to the very people who are starting the fights can't we all just get rid of racism said by the very people who are creating racial divide and can't we just care about those who are in need said by the very ones who are putting people in need can't we just care about the helpless said by the very ones who are Proud about aborting, murdering. It's been said and it is true the safest place that any baby should find themselves is in the very womb of its mother. But it's proven to be one of the most dangerous places. Why? Because no one knows about love until they figure out about hope. True hope. We can hope in all kinds of things, but most of the things that we hope in, they're going to pass away. But he says there's one thing that will never pass away. It's the Word of God. So what what is Peter saying? Hope frees us to love. See, this means that the platform that holds up the lamp of divine love, that beam that holds up this this, this ability to obey love as God loves. This command number four is the word created, born again, heart of hope. See, a hope set free from all the grass and flowers of the world. See, the reason why people may pray a prayer of getting saved but they never follow Is maybe they prayed a prayer, but they never got saved. They didn't get the nature because God's nature is, is full of hope. It was created by a seed that is never going to die, never pass away, forever settled in heaven. And that seed produces its nature within us. <clears throat> One thing that keeps us from loving is the fear. Is the fear that if we pay the price of love, we will lose out on the bright things that this life has for us, that this world is giving us. In other words, it's this thought, (laughs) giving me a command, it's easier to obey commandment number one, maybe commandment number two, maybe three, but four, uh, that just, there's nothing about that that sounds good. One reason maybe is because you don't have his nature. Second reason is you've not obeyed the first command or the second command or the third command. But one of the reasons that we fear loving this way is that we fear paying the price of love because we think we're going to miss out. If I, if I have to love that way, do you know what that'll cost me? You, you mean something like your blood? No. No, I don't, I don't think that that's what's being asked of you, is it? No, no, but I'm thinking that if we endure wrong to us, and I've been wronged, the whole preacher, you don't know how wronged I've been. You've been done wrong. Like, like your master. But if I endure wrong in the spirit of meekness, I just, I just don't know if I can. You don't think you can like Jesus did, whose seed and word is planted within his children. Or if we renounce boasting and pride and calling attention to myself and, and, and being filled with drama. Or if I spend time and energy supplying the needs of others without fretting over my own. Or if I risk making necessary reproves that are almost Surely, to be interpreted as something other than love or if I receive reproofs without animosity and defensiveness or if I cover a multitude of sins and put away my list of grievances or if I rejoice when others prosper while I don't or if I bless those who curse me and do good to those who despise me or if I love one another with a pure heart fervently, it will cost me too much. And the price will be too great that I might lose some of the cherished glory of the grass and flowers and people and things that will pass away. See, the power to overcome this fear is the power of hope. That the glory of this world is passing away. And we who are born again through the word of God and hope in the word of God, we're going to endure forever. So why would I want to get wrapped up and soaked up in the flowers and the grass of this world when I can go back to my roots, the very seed that changed my nature, the word of God, and embrace the reality there is something powerful. And because of that, I can obey commandment number four, to love with a divine agape love. Let me mention the second beam here. Notice in verse 22. We still there? Notice verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. There's the second beam, second pillar, second support, and that is the soul-purifying obedience to the truth. A soul-purifying obedience to the truth. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, and that's the other pillar here, the soul-purifying obedience to truth, therefore, fervently love one another from the heart, and that's the command, that's the lamp, that's the light. See, the truth here in view <clears throat> is the... I believe the gospel, the word of God, verse 23. He he elaborates on. And all the hope producing truth we've been looking at so far. So what is obedience to this truth? It's faith. It's it's trust and obey. It's never just obedience or just faith. Obedience, Bible obedience, is always preceded by faith. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. To obey. So nobody trusts without Bible obedience. Nobody can obey without Bible faith. The gospel demands faith. How does a person get saved? By faith. How does a person live the Christian life? By faith. And so here, obedience to the truth accesses the cleansing for my heart. It's a faith that accesses cleansing. What does he mean when he says obedience? Well, it's faith-filled obedience to truth That access is cleansing. But faith is inseparable from hope. You can't trust and obey without being filled with hope. It just keeps going back to that. He breaks it down, but he keeps tying it to this this, uh, tethered to this great thing, and that is hope in God. See, if you have faith, Faith that the word of God will abide forever, you're hoping in the word as well as believing in the word. Therefore, the pillar, verse 22, that holds up the lamp of love is a soul purifying hope in the word of God. When I trust and obey, what I'm able to do is access his cleansing so that my heart can be clean So I can then obey commandment number four, which is also supported by the truth that his nature is in me, verse 23, his seed, the seed of the word of God has been implanted in me and I can keep hanging on to the truth. I can delight in his word. I can decide to obey his word no matter what and I can experience the fulfillment of being like Christ and demonstrate to others what Christ looks like. Love. What is the dirt that cleans? That this hope cleans out of the heart? Well, the answer is that hoping in God cleans out... I, was, I want you to get this. I'm going to slow it down. Look at it again, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. How do we get clean? By trusting and obeying the truth, the Spirit of God. But what is the dirt that this hope cleans out? The answer, again, is that hoping in God, it cleans out hoping in the glory of grass and flowers of this world. We get so caught up with the things of this world you take the very best television show, very best program. Majority of what has ever been wrong with Hollywood, the majority of what has ever been wrong has not been the bedroom scenes and the cursing and and all those vile, wicked things, but the majority of what has been wrong is to show life to be normal without God. even though they may attend church and little house on the prairie once in a while even though they may go to a service the bulk of life is portrayed as hoping in grass and flowers yeah. rather than hoping in god yeah. see hoping in god cleans and cleanses the futile empty hopes of the flesh It convinces us that if we we live for the bright flowers of money, comfort, fame, sex, leisure, we will wither. We will die. And when this new hope cleanses out these old futile hopes and banks on God's imperishable, living, abiding, eternal promise, then and only then can we love one another earnestly from the heart. So, here's the big picture. This command, fourth command and lamp of love, it is held up and made possible by two pillars. One is the pillar of God's sovereign act. It's what God did, verse 23, through the new birth of God's living and abiding seed of the word. The other pillar is our response to that divine act. As newborn children of God, we hear the word of our Father and we obey by putting our hope in Him. I want you to see this last statement that's put up there. This is my last statement and I want you to see it as I wrote it out. And when we hope in Jesus, that the future He plans for us is greater than all the glory the world can offer, then our hearts will be clean And we will be free to love each other earnestly from the heart. I cannot do this passage justice. But when we have cliques and preferences and we have our own justification for not living as Jesus and loving as Jesus... It's really because you hope more in the things of the world than you do God. Let's stand together, please.